Take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. By the way, Brother Ron's another brother from another mother, amen? But we still have the same father. Uh, Romans chapter 1, we're going to read just a few verses. I'll pray, and we're going to jump right into the Bible study tonight. You'll have to excuse me. I'm excited about tonight's lesson. I get uh, It doesn't take me very long to get excited about preaching and teaching, but I love topic I'm teaching tonight. I think I'll be able to help you. I'll help you understand your own salvation. I'll help you understand soul winning. I'll help you understand some things about your own Christian life. And I think it's going to strengthen our church as a whole as well. But I am just wound up tight about this. About uh, quarter to six this morning, about 530 this morning, Brother Fugit texted me. He said, I know you're up. You're probably at the office. He said, are you available? I said, yes, sir, to all of the above. He said, you're one of the only preachers in America I can text at 5.30 in the morning and get. And uh, he asked me what I was teaching tonight. I told him, and he's like, man, he said, I think I'm going to take a detour to your church. Uh, He said, you're excited. I said, I stay excited. So uh, I just want to help you tonight. Romans chapter 1, look at verse number 15, and keep your Bibles open because we're going to use them tonight. So much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein, watch this, is the righteousness of God. I want you to underline that statement. The righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written... The just shall live by faith. Key statement to tonight's lesson is this. We're, we're talking about the gospel, and the key statement is the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Father, help us tonight. Help us as we study your word. Give us your mind. And Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Help him to teach each individual what they need tonight, please, as I teach in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me remind you, (laughs) I started all of this about the gospel with this statement. The gospel is not about man, it's about Jesus. The gospel has nothing to do with man. Uh, Let me read what I wrote here. The gospel is for man, but it is about Jesus. Religion wants to add man to the gospel, and they cancel the power of the gospel by doing so. When you add man to the gospel, you mess up the gospel. Uh, The gospel is only good for man when we accept it. But we have nothing to do with the actual gospel itself. That's why one of my pet peeves, I don't get mad at somebody, but I, 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 I don't think it's scriptural to call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the four gospels. There's one gospel, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will never see anywhere in the Bible where it says the gospel of Matthew, except at the title put there by man, not by God. It's not the gospel according to St. Matthew and to Mark and to Luke and to John. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the gospel of man. There weren't many different gospels. There weren't many different views from many different points. No, God's the author of it. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, whose faith follow. Now, 
Let me help you with something here. Uh, the gospel starts, as we said last week, with the virgin birth. The importance of the virgin birth is this. Now listen to this. The, the greatness of the virgin birth is not the virgin, it's the father. The virgin birth is about Jesus being robed in flesh, but not having an earthly father. The bloodline is passed through the father, not through the mother. Here's a statement. I, I made this last week, and I talked about uh, the Catholic Church and the Catholic beliefs a little bit. We have a couple families who have come from that denomination, and they said, Preacher, I got home that Wednesday night. One of them texted me and said, Preacher, you only got it half right. He said, You didn't go far enough on this thing about Mary. I said, Well, I know I didn't. I said, I'm, I'm nowhere you're headed, but what are you talking about? And I was right. Not only do they believe that Mary was the one that was the immaculate conception. They also believe that Mary had no sin. That she was born without what they call original sin. Now here's the problem with that. I can prove that wrong with this next statement. Jesus was born of a earthly virgin because he needed to be robed in flesh that could die. You don't die if you're not a sinner. Jesus had God's blood, but he was wrapped in woman's seed. He had to have a body that could die. And the word was made flesh. Proof she was a sinner, Jesus died. Jesus could not have died if God were his father and Mary had no sin. Everybody doing okay? Now, uh, I'm not here to bash the Catholics tonight. Uh, but uh, the virgin birth is about the father. It is, uh, it is about Jesus being God in human flesh, living the key to the rest of the gospel, our righteousness for us. The next part of the gospel is this. Jesus is sinless, righteous life. You must have the virgin birth, but you also have to have a sinless and righteous life. Now, listen to me very carefully. Righteousness is not the absence of sin only. Righteousness is not just the absence of sin. Just like you are not a good person because you don't do bad things. You are a good person when you do good things. The absence of the bad does not give you the presence of good. The doing of good makes you a good person. A child is not a good child just because they don't get in trouble. Sometimes that means they're good at not getting caught. Just because a, a child doesn't get in a lot of trouble does not make them a good child. A good child is one that does good things. A good person isn't one that doesn't go to jail. 
a good person is one that does good things. I know good people who have gone to jail because of false accusation. Everybody doing okay? Now hang in there for a second here. Now, that means this. You are not righteous just because there is no sin. You are only righteous when you do righteous things. Does that make sense to everybody? Nod your head one way or the other. Okay, now we're going somewhere. This righteousness is needed for the gospel. But this righteousness is not our righteousness. It is the righteousness of God. Go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, Look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the what? Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now notice it's talking about the gospel of Jesus, right? For it, what? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, also Greek. For therein, therein what? For therein in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So that means this. For us to get saved, we have to have righteousness on our account. Is that what it says? Not only was Jesus born of a virgin, but he came to live our righteousness for us. He lived the life God intended us to live back in the Garden of Eden. God made man with no sin, but he also made man to live righteous. Now watch this. When man sinned, even man's righteousness was tainted by sin. So our righteousness is not good enough. We need the righteousness of God for salvation. Now, listen to me very carefully here. I'm about to say something that may shock you. If our righteousness has anything to do with the gospel, then Jesus could have just left heaven, come to earth, gone to Calvary, shed his blood, and died and resurrected for the rest of it. Why is it that Jesus had to be born of a virgin and live on this old nasty world for 33 years? Because he had to live our righteousness for us. He had to live the righteousness for all mankind to merit salvation. If our works have anything to do with salvation then Jesus being born of a virgin is wiped away and not needed. Or you're saying that Jesus' righteousness is not enough for salvation. And I hate to tell you something, it's plenty. You see, (laughs) there would have been no need for him to live on this earth for 33 years if our righteousness was involved. Jesus spent 33 years here to live our righteousness for us, being tempted by sin, but not yielding to sin. He lived the righteousness God intended for us to live for our own life. 
Let's look at this a little deeper. I got 32 minutes and we're going to fly. Number one, every human is a sinner and lacks righteousness. Now listen to the rest of this statement. It's a father issue. Just like the virgin birth is a father issue, our lack of righteousness is a father issue. Now, before we go any farther, I want you to understand something. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse number 2. You're going to see this term used over and over and over a lot in the book of Romans in many places in the New Testament, and I want to clear the air for you real quickly. Before we read it, I want you to look at me. The word we're going to look at is the word the law. Now, I want you to look at me for a second. This law is not the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is civil law. That was the law God gave Moses to give the Jews to organize a government in the wilderness. And then when they conquered Canaan to set up their, I'll use the word constitution, their civil government based off of those Ten Commandments. Had nothing to do with being spiritual. Had everything to do with being a moral, civilized group of people in a civil government situation. You could keep all of the Ten Commandments and die and go to hell. Did you know lost people can keep all of the Ten Commandments? It also was not the law of the priesthood. That was given to a specific group of people. And Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, came and fulfilled that priesthood He came to earth as the Lamb of God. He resurrected as our high priest. And there is no need for the priesthood anymore. That's why I don't wear a dress when I preach. That's why I, I don't follow the old Levitical priesthood. By the way, Jesus did not either. That's why Jesus started the church and got people away from the temple. It's also not just the moral laws. The Pharisees kept the moral laws. So there is a law, though, that if we break it, we're guilty of all the law, correct? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's talking about people who have been saved, correct? Yes or no? All right, I just want to make sure you're awake. Now watch this. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of what? Sin and death. So the violation of the law is the violation of the law of sin and death. The law was this. Man, you can eat of every tree of the Garden of Eden except one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day thou eatest, thou shalt surely what? Die. That's the law of sin and death. And the moment you sin one time, guess what? You are guilty of all the law of the law of sin and death. 
Doesn't matter what else. It is the law of sin and death that we are concerned with for our salvation. And the law of the Spirit gives us life because Jesus conquered the law of sin and death. Through the gospel. The virgin birth, the sinless life, crucified, uh, shed blood, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. All of those things comprise the gospel and give us the spirit of life through Christ. Now go back to verse number one again. There is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ. The word condemnation. That means this, accused of being wrong, tried, found guilty, and sentenced to death. God says there is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Why? Because they have the spirit of life through the spirit because of being saved. And they are not guilty of the law of sin and death. Does that mean they are no longer sinners? No. But in God's eyes, they've taken care of the sin issue, and they'll never be judged for that because they've trusted what Jesus did for their salvation. And it's not man's righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, turn to Romans chapter 3. Aren't you glad we just got started? I haven't even gotten to point A yet. Romans chapter 3, look at verse number 10. As it is written, there is none, what's the word? Righteous. Righteous. That's the same as the word righteousness, right? There is none righteous. No, not one. Look down to verse 23. Uh, Verse 20, uh, let's look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Oh. So God says that our sin causes us to be unrighteous, right? Look down to verse number 25. Whom God hath sent forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare whose righteousness? His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Notice it's not our righteousness. It is the righteousness of Jesus that brings us salvation. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, look at verse number 17. We're going to read quite a few verses, so get ready. Here we go. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. That's the law of what? Sin and death. By the way, Adam sinned. Watch this. 
For as by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Oh, wait a minute. Remember we read in chapter 8, verse 1, there is there now, now therefore no condemnation. Keep reading. Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that by the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. By whom? Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to understand something. The righteousness necessary for salvation is not ours. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I changed books on you, didn't I? Just about time you got comfortable thinking you're going to stay in Romans. John chapter 8. Look at verse number 44. John chapter 8. Look at verse number 44. Help if I were in the right chapter. There we go. John chapter 8, verse number 44. Ye are of your what? Father, the who? Oh. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there was no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. That means this. A person who is not saved has a father problem. And the bloodline runs through the devil. Our lack of spirituality, our death of spirituality, our... Uh, you okay, brother? Okay, just want to make sure. She's not... Well, she's, she's sitting next to you. I understand why she'd be crying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure everything was all right. Hang on. So we have to understand something. Just like the virgin birth is a father issue, our lack of righteousness is a father issue. Because as a lost person, our father is the devil. Everybody understand that? Now hang on. Turn to Isaiah chapter 64. All the way back in the Old Testament. Right after the book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. Look at verse number 6. Isaiah 64, verse number 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Hmm. God says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. God says because we're sinners that even our righteousness as a sinner in comparison to the righteousness of Jesus Christ is as filthy rags. These filthy rags were 
they were like towels, public towels that were hung on the roads. And they would nail one of these rags to a pole, and people who had leprosy and different diseases, as they would walk, they could, if, their, uh, if their hands were filled with leprosy and pus and blood, and their fingers are falling off, they would go to those rags and pull all that pus off to make it to the next one. And person after person after person would do that till those rags would literally rot off the poles. God said our righteousness is like those filthy rags. He said even the good things you do in comparison to the righteousness of Jesus is like a filthy rag. Why? Because we're sinners. Our righteousness is tainted by sin. Even the good things you do are tainted by sin. This is why we cannot keep the law to gain righteousness because we're even conceived in sin. We don't have time to turn there, but Psalm 51 verses 5 through 10 talked about that I was conceived in sin. In sin, my mother conceived me. Listen to this statement. People think, well, Moses is the lawgiver. Well, Moses gave us the law, but it wasn't good enough to take him to the promised land. He didn't make it. God God did not let Moses go in because Moses disobeyed. Now watch this. Moses was not the lawgiver. He was the lawgiver. He was not the lawgetter. He didn't write it. He went to the top of the mountain, let God take his finger and write it in the tables of stone and brought it back to the people. Moses didn't even write it. Go back to the book of Exodus sometime and read where it talks about God took his finger and wrote in the tables of stone. It was written in God's own handwriting, literally with his own hand. Now, the law was to show us our need for Jesus and his righteousness. It was not given to us to keep, to merit righteousness. It was given to show us the need for Jesus Christ. The law does not make you righteous. It shows you your need for righteousness. Turn back to Romans chapter 3. Everybody doing okay? I know I'm being technical, but hang on. I'm about to shout. Romans chapter 3, look at verse number 19. Now, we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Well, what about the people in Africa that's never heard the gospel? They know the difference between right and wrong. Doth not nature itself teach them? Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, look at me. 
God's pretty good at being able to say what he means, right? So God says, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. That means nobody could keep all of the law and be justified, correct? But he says at the end there, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Uh, Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse number 24. Oh, my soul. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by what? Does it say the law? What's it say? By faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. The schoolmaster is a person who would gather people up and take them to school, uh, i.e. a bus driver, camel driver, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the schoolmaster says, wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. It gathers us up, takes us to a point to show us what we don't know or what we should know. But the schoolmaster is not the one who saves us or reveals the bad. It takes us to a point to show us what is wrong. You know, you don't go to school to show everybody how much you know. You go to school to find out what you don't know. I was in my senior appointment with Brother Hiles. I was a senior in college. He looked at me and said, Brother Bush, he said, uh, what's the greatest lesson you've learned here at the college? I said, that's easy. He said, good, tell me what it is. I said, think the greatest thing I've learned is this. I don't know anything yet. <laughs> he said, who told you to say that? I said, nobody, you asked me. He said, son, if you'll keep that attitude, you'll go far in life. He said, you're wise beyond your years. I'm thinking, no, I'm just being honest. (laughs) I got a lot to learn. And I'm still learning. So the law was to show us our need for salvation. Now watch this. Salvation then is us submitting our unrighteousness to the righteousness of God. Correct? Turn to Romans chapter 10. I'll show you that that's what it is. And I'm going to throw another word at you that people use wrongly, and then we're going to hit the next point and be done. Maybe I'll throw a third point in there. It's short. Romans chapter 10, look at verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be what? Saved. Saved. It's in reference to the gospel, right? For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge. Notice that statement. They're zealous about doing something for God, right? They have a desire to do something godly. For watch this. For they, being ignorant of God's what? Okay, look at me. Of whose righteousness? God's righteousness. And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. 
For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Did he say our own righteousness is the end of the law? No, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. You have to come to a point when you realize you're trying to be good, you're doing your own thing, and I'm trying to be a good person, I'm trying to live what the Bible says, I'm trying to do it what this church and this denomination said, and this one and this one, and I've done all the things I could, but then you realize one day, according to the scripture, I'm a sinner, because I'm a sinner, I deserve hell. I am unrighteous. No matter how much good I do, I can't make it to heaven. Matter of fact, the harder I try, the farther away I get. But the moment I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, I turn from my own righteousness to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, we have salvation. I yield my unrighteousness to his righteousness. Did you notice something that took place? I have to change direction, don't I? That's where the word repent comes in. Repent isn't, oh God, when I was four years old, I pulled a girl's hair. God, when I was five, it's not telling God all the sins you've done, saying, I'll never do them again. No, repentance is turning from your own righteousness to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is biblical repentance. Somebody says, well, you have to repent of all your sin. (laughs) They're stupid. They're unbiblical. Repentance is turning from your righteousness to the righteousness of God. Is that not what Romans 10.3 said? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. Not me turning from my sin. Not me confessing and telling somebody all the sins I've done. It is turning from my own righteousness to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is biblical repentance. Now, I must hurry. Point number two. We need Jesus' righteousness then added to our account for salvation. I'm going to make a statement that might surprise you. Just because, and nobody could do this, but even if you could live a life without sinning, you could still die and go to hell. It's not the absence of the bad, it's the presence of the good. You need to be as righteous as Jesus Christ to get to heaven. And according to Romans chapter 3 verse number 10, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Isaiah 64, 6, that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 2. We'll read a couple of verses in Galatians and then I'm going to jump back to the book of Romans, so hang on. Galatians chapter 2, look at verse number 5. 
to whom we gave place by subjection, uh, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the what? Might continue with you. So we're talking about the gospel in Galatians chapter 2, correct? Okay, skip down to verse number 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the what? Works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if we build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, watch this, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. God says that we are not saved by our righteousness. It is by his righteousness being put on our account. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse number 6. Now, look at me for a second. Chronologically speaking, does Abraham come before Moses? Yes or no? Yes, he does. Abraham's in the book of Genesis. Moses doesn't come on the scene till about a thousand years later in Exodus. Look at verse number 6. Even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for what? Oh, so it couldn't be the law of Moses. Look at verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. Notice the word, the gospel. Saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. This is an illustration I have given you often. If this pulpit represents Calvary. And this is the Old Testament. God said that he would come and pay our sin debt for us. By faith, Abraham looked ahead to Calvary. He said, I know Jesus will come. He will be born of a virgin. He will live a sinless life. He will live my righteousness. And I will trust what he will do to take me to heaven. Amen. We in the New Testament look back at what Jesus did do. Only difference between Old Testament and New Testament is the direction we're looking. Right. Old Testament looked ahead to what God would do. In the New Testament, we look back at what Jesus did do. Both take faith. Amen. Abraham got the gospel before the book of Matthew. Right. Before Moses... 
before the Levitical law, before the moral law, and before the civil law. Hmm. Well, I don't believe in these gospel preachers. Then you don't believe in anything in the Bible because it was before Abraham. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. I've got to hurry. Turn there fast. Uh, Romans chapter 4. I've got to get this in tonight. I'm sorry. Romans chapter 4. Look at verse number 1. What shall we say that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to be glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of man unto whom God, watch these next two words, imputeth righteousness without works. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Let me give you a doctrine here. Uh, look, Look down verse 22. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Not, uh, now it was written for his sake alone, but it was imputed to him. But all for us also to whom it shall be imputed. For if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That's the gospel. God says, when you get saved, Brother Ron, I'm about to shout. The moment I get to the point where I realize my righteousness will not get me there. And I, by faith, say, Jesus, I take you. I'll trust what you did and your righteousness to get me there. Hot diggity dog. I'm saved and on my way to heaven. But what happens? Yes, he forgives my sins. Yes, he washes them away. But... According to Romans chapter 4, the Bible uses the term, he imputes his righteousness. What does that mean? That means this, Brother Ron, the day I got saved, God took my sins, wiped them away, covered them in the blood. He put my name at the top of a sheet that had Jesus' righteousness written on it. He had it. The righteousness of Jesus Christ to my account. When God looks at me, he sees everything that Jesus did and nothing that I do. He has imputed his righteousness to my account. When you get saved, God imputes the righteousness of Jesus Christ to your life. And it can't be taken away. Amen. That's how eternal your salvation is. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. We were there a little while ago. I know I read some of this, but it's going to make more sense to you. There is there now, there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ, 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Why? Because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to my account. For the law, uh, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after flesh, but after the spirit. <laughs> so the moment the Holy Spirit moves in, God writes the righteousness of Jesus Christ on my account, and I am as righteous as Jesus Christ in the presence of God. Take that, nasty devil. Again, if our righteousness, our works, had anything to do with salvation, Jesus wouldn't have to have come and lived our righteousness. Why is it that Jesus didn't just leave heaven one day, come to Calvary and pay our sin debt for us? Because he had to live our righteousness. Because our righteousness will not merit eternal salvation. Only his righteousness will. one. give me five minutes and I'll be done. Number three, we are to live righteous after we get saved. Because we are saved. We do not live righteous to get saved. Oh, we're supposed to live righteous, but not to get salvation. We are to live righteous because we got salvation. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, look at verse number 14. <sighs> For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, the law of sin and death, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were servants of sin, but you have obeyed him from the heart that uh, that form of doctrine which was delivered you, that's being the gospel. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield ye your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in the things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have the fruit unto holiness and to the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We don't live righteous to get saved. We live righteous because we are saved. I'll finish with this. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Hang on, there's a verse 10 too though. 
For herein are we the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus unto good works. That the righteousness of God might be revealed in us. We don't get saved by being righteous in our own righteousness. We get saved by the righteousness of Jesus by faith. At that moment then, we begin a journey to live as righteous as we can because we got saved, not to get saved. Say why? Because we're still sinners. Now in God's record, we have the righteousness of Christ added. But here on earth, we still have to live it. I'm going to make three statements and I'm done. Our righteousness is not important. Jesus' righteousness is. This is why, listen to this statement, we have no right to judge anybody's salvation. Because it's not based on man's righteousness. It's based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Well, they said they're saved, but I don't know by how they live. You're in, you are in direct conflict to scripture by making a statement like that. You have absolutely no right to make that statement because they weren't saved by their righteousness. They were saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have no right or ability to judge another's righteousness. How about we just follow Jesus' righteousness and try to live what that book says? The virgin birth, it's a father issue. Our, the law of sin and death, it's a father issue and we're of our father, the devil. But Jesus came and lived our righteousness for us. That's why a church can't save you. That's why a preacher can't save you. That's why a baptistry can't save you. That's why giving money to a church can't save you. Somebody sent me something this week I thought was funny. It was a picture of Joel Osteen. And it said, when, when uh, God calls you to be a prophet and you, you think he meant to make profit. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> can I tell you something? There's a lot of, there's a lot of religious people out there going to die and go to hell because they're trying to go about to establish their own righteousness. And it comes to submitting yourself to the righteousness of God. It's not turning from your sin. It's turning from your own righteousness to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteous life is what gives us salvation. It's not just the cleansing of the sin. It is the imputing of his righteousness to our account. It's both together that gives us salvation. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done. I went a few minutes over. I apologize, but you needed the, the end to understand it all. Maybe we ought to be thankful for the righteousness of Christ. May we yield ourselves to his righteousness.